Strike the empire back, give the enemy action The force ain't with you, it's against you, we hit them with blasters By my hand solo, fly like Millennium Falcon Breach the Death Star, their defenses is really what's cracking Really what's cracking, I make it happen tonight Whooping ass, then they wanna shake hands after the fight Rappers act too good for rap because they ain't actually nice Believe in their own hype, act like they practically nine what is up, everyone? You are listening to the most accurate podcast presented by 444.com. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm your host. The fantasy football season will be over for most folks by the end of tonight's Monday Night Football matchup between the Packers and Vikings. So the format of this show is going to be a little bit different than in past weeks. It's going to start off with an appearance from the great Scott Fish. I would argue that his Scott Fishbowl drafts kick off the redraft season, so I think it's only fitting to bookend the year with a discussion of how SFB9 played out. Scott and I are also going to discuss some more general takeaways from the 2019 season. Then later, I will go solo to recap Week 16, look ahead to Week 17 for any of you who might still have something on the line for some crazy, insane, no good reason. The music on today's show is a song called Help, featuring Adult Karate by Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Amp Live from their 2018 album Gate 13. This song came up on Shuffle for me a few days ago, and it just felt like the perfect track to use on my last team app for the 2019 season. Uh, if you listen to it in full, you'll you'll maybe figure out why. But to hear the whole song, plus all the other songs I use on these episodes, click the link in the show notes to the team app B-Sides playlist on Spotify. Today's show is sponsored by FantasyDraft.com, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business. What does rake-free mean? It means that 100% of entry fees at Fantasy Draft are paid out to contest winners. If you want to try them out for free on a seven-day trial, and you can play other sports beside football there, so this will last you beyond the NFL season, go to FantasyDraft.com, sign up with the promo code 444, that's the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and say goodbye to the rake. Now let's say hello to Scott Fish of Fanball. He requires no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Scott runs Safe Leagues. He hosts the Commission Impossible podcast, a.k.a. The Commish Pod, uh, and Fanball Weekly on Sirius XM Radio, as, as well as Fantasy Football Weekly on KFAN 100.3 in Minnesota. To top it all off, Scott is the creator of the Scott Fishbowl and of Fantasy Cares. Welcome to the show, Mr. Fish. How are you doing on this final Monday of most folks' fantasy season? I am doing good, doing good. I might have to update that on the uh, Fantasy Football Weekly. Not only does it air 100.3 here in Minnesota, it is uh, this year it's now nationally syndicated and 52 weeks a year. Uh, you can get it on iHeartRadio all year long, and it's playing all over the country on different radio stations. So I probably need to update my bio on that, apparently. <laughs> but, yeah, busy times. That could have also been a, host, a hosting error on my part, so uh, apologies for not getting that right. But yeah, check that out on the iHeartRadio app, folks, if you're listening to this and want to hear Scott in uh, one of his many other places. But let's talk SFB, Scott. The championship is here. I'm really excited that it is going to come down to Monday Night Football. By my accounting, there are four teams that are still alive if the rosters hold. In the lead is Matt Griffith of the Dynasty Happy Hour. He has about 275 points with Mike Boone yet to play. Uh, the mm-hmm. other host of... The uh, most accurate podcast, John Paulson, uh, he is currently in second with about 270 points. He has Mike Boone left to go. So as things stand, he can't catch Matt. Brutal, brutal break for Paulson. Oh, yeah. You want to get into that? I was just going to say, I mean, that last mile Sanders run is what put Griffith over. Otherwise, those two would be flipped. Oh, that's so, yeah, that's really a bummer for him. And uh, Jacob Rickroad from Rotoviz uh, is kind of, 
in the same boat. He's down at around 234 points with only Mike Boone left. And then there are a few people who have multiple players left. Uh, fan Tommy Garrett is still alive. He has 246 points with Boone and Devontae Adams. So Tommy can move ahead of Matt if Adams goes for about 28.4 points or more. And then Gary Haddow from Fighting Chance Fantasy is at 238.7 fantasy points. And he has Aaron Jones plus Mike Boone. Or no, he just has Aaron Jones. So he would need Aaron Jones to outscore Mike Boone by about 35, 36 points. So uh, there are a lot of guys who are kind of still alive up up at the top of the standings. And there are a few other, you know, galaxy brain folks. I I think I calculated that uh, Jason Shandell has a very slim chance of winning because he has Boone and Kirk Cousins. Uh, But he currently only has about 174 points. So it means (laughs) that Cousins would have to score like at least 100 points. And he would need to (laughs) outscore Adams by 72, outscore Aaron Jones by 64. I mean... If Cousins yeah. puts up triple digits, outscoring those other guys is certainly in play, but let's be real, that's probably not happening. But No, no. I think the biggest game is probably 60 or 70 out of Lamar Jackson. It, that that bonus point scoring is just it's unreal. By the way, uh, two fans in the top five right, right now, Tommy Garrett, as you mentioned, and I think Devontae Adams could easily hit 28. That yep. With this bonus scoring, that's a very possible score. And then uh, sitting in third place, and she is done, is uh, Grace Golden, her, her whole family, big-time fantasy football family. She's uh, she's 14 years old and, and fighting for top five there with guys like John Paulson. That's incredible. I really love that, man. That, that is one of the best parts about this experience every year is the way that you bring fans and analysts together. I, I really appreciate that. That's super cool. Yeah, it's the it's that's one of the one of the top ten favorite things for me. <laughs> There's a lot of things I love about this league. So, how did you come to feel about the scoring by the end of the season? Do you like the way it played out? I, I know you're going to change things next year because you always yeah. change things. But just looking at 2019 in a bubble, how do you feel about the scoring settings that you chose? I liked it at you know at the beginning. I thought it was uh <laughs> you know a good twist, but it's just too much for me. Like the bonuses are just too much for me, and and I think uh, something that comes with it, it that I do enjoy is that you never feel safe. Like you you just never felt safe about winning a matchup if you if you're facing someone down by thirty. Uh, there are a lot of players that can score 30 points on any given week in this system, and and I, I'm not sure I loved it as much as uh, previous years. Yeah, I did enjoy that at first, and then it did start to grate on me as the season went on. Yeah. Because if you didn't hit those bonuses, if you didn't get at least 50 yards from a receiver, it really felt like you were giving up a lot of value. And that, while it's it's baked into the settings, we knew that going in, that was a bit of a feel-bad at times. Like Especially if your guy got 48 yards or 97 yards or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. It, like it in high like it seemed like a great idea it seemed like fun in theory and you started out being like oh i got 100 yards two double i got the double bonus this week and then yeah exactly like you said just a few weeks in you're like if if your receiver goes like 3 for 49 you miss that bonus like yeah it it was rough yeah it's just a bigger swing right because if you're on yeah. the good side of the bonus like if you have Lamar Jackson in week 16 and he hits 100 rushing yards which he did and hits the double rushing bonus from your QB position while also throwing three passing touchdowns. Like, I mean, Lamar Jackson has been unreal in every format in fantasy all season, but for him to be able to kind of elevate those Scott Fishbowl teams that much higher was pretty incredible. And if you owned him, it had to have been a blast, right? It's just not everybody can own that player. And you have to balance, you know, the feel goods with the feel bads, I guess. 
Yeah, that, that I think you, you phrased it right. The, the swings were too big. Even though the scoring was fairly balanced across positions and you could get those games from wide receivers hitting triple bonuses and stuff like that, it the swings were just too big for, you know, bad week, for bad weeks. Would you ever consider, instead of messing with the scoring system, and I mean, I mean like I said, you're going to do that anyway, but maybe tweaking the the roster setup a little bit differently because that's been pretty consistent over the past few years, right? Yeah, it, it really has. Uh, it, it's been that way for a few reasons, um, and I have considered it just about every year. the 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 main reason I have it, I've had it set at twenty two, and I've had it set with all these flexes. Um, first off, in order to keep wide receivers balanced with other with other positions, you almost need to require more than more than you'd probably like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just because otherwise people will start to drift into the other positions with some of the scoring I've done. But uh, the the number of roster spots, I don't see that changing. The The reason I do 22 roster spots is because it's so deep that people – um, they don't. They don't have to worry about the waiver wire quite as much, and uh, that that frees people up in season. You know, when we all have all these other things going on, that that the waiver wire is fairly fairly a minimal task. Uh, I think that's part of it. Yeah, for sure. And I do appreciate that. If you miss waivers, you probably still have plenty of usable options on your bench if you've been generally keeping up with your team. And the fact that the leagues do still allow for free agent pickups, you know, just first come first serve additions, that helps to. But I don't know. I think that there might be something to – I mean, I've thrown this out before, but how about one quarterback and two super flexes with 10-team leagues, Scott? Let's let's get crazy yeah. here, man. Yeah, there is there is a lot of maneuverability. Um, and I think next year, next year might be the year I flip to that because I think I've found the scoring system I love. And it really the last two to three years in SFB has been slight variations on a scoring system that I find extremely balanced and love. And I might just flip it right back to what I believe is one of the best scoring systems you can have, uh, the most balanced you can have, and then change the the other settings surrounding it. I, I really do like that idea. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, are there any other big takeaways from the Scott Fishbowl for you this season? I'm sure you have you know, a million of them, but is there anything else in particular that stands out that you would want to talk about on a podcast? <sighs> I, don't, I don't know that too much stands out i i have so many huge plans for next year that uh i'm I'm not sure what i want to let out there about next year but uh i i think i've 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 gotten to the point where i might just completely take out the consolation bracket i i don't know that i want to i want to keep going down that road especially if it grows and i'm i'm toying with the idea of instead of these giant conference finals of people like a giant group of people being whittled down i've been toying with the idea of maybe the top four in each division uh one winner emerges then the top five in each conference one winner emerges you know to the five so you're only playing four or five people each week Mm. um i've toyed with that idea instead of playing you know 20 a week (laughs) and having the top half advance that would definitely make it feel more like quote-unquote regular fantasy football, right? Where in a tournament setting like this where you're playing against 10 to 12 to 20 other people in these playoff weeks, you really need to spike. You need to hit that high variance upside with some number of of the players on your roster. Whereas if you only have to play against four, maybe you can play a little bit more for a floor of scoring. And yeah, that's an interesting inflection point. I mean, I think either way it's going to... You know, make make some people happy, make some people not happy. I I appreciate oh, yeah. everything you do, though, Scott. I think that no matter how you set it up, it's going to be great because it always is. 
Yeah, you realize with with twelve hundred people and and people probably know this, but with uh, my safe leagues commissioner service, I run five hundred and seventy two leagues, and total I run eight hundred and twenty six leagues. And I think one of the major things you learn after you run about five leagues is that you're not going to make any everyone happy. <laughs> Maybe after one league, you realize you're not going to make everyone happy. So I, I don't I don't worry too much about that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, fair enough. Now, I know your time with me here today is a little bit limited, so I want to kind of transition into some bigger picture takeaways from 2019, kind of looking at the season in review. And I'm curious, just at a base level, what do you think you're going to remember most about the 2019 fantasy football year? I think I think one of the big takeaways for me, and I think this leads into 2019 draft season, 2020 draft season, in fact, is the giant gaps between Michael Thomas and the rest of the wide receivers and Christian McCaffrey and the rest of the running backs and Lamar Jackson and the rest of the rest of the quarterbacks. I, I kind of want to see how that like next year. I, I've seen talk of Lamar Jackson being a top three pick. Um, but it would be hard to argue for anyone outside of Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey being a top three pick at this point. They, they're so consistent and so far above everyone else. I mean, you can make cases for people, but just the way they perform, not just this year, but, uh, this is Michael Thomas's fourth year and he's really done it the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, has the second, I believe Heath Cummins put this out there this morning. He has the second most receptions in the first five years of someone's career. And he's still in year four. That's incredible. So he's got a whole nother year to go, and he's already number two in five years. So, uh, and Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he was uh, number one or number two back to paying on your scoring last year, number one this year. I think we're starting to look at it like a Ladanian Tomlinson type run for McCaffrey. Um, I think my biggest takeaways is just how valuable those two are on fantasy teams. Yeah, that was it for me. I think this is going to be remembered as the season of Lamar Jackson, the season of Christian McCaffrey. And I'm glad that you brought up Michael Thomas because I feel like he does get kind of short shrift in this conversation because he plays wide receiver. And I feel like most of the league winning lineups or rosters in 2019 were probably more tied to Lamar Jackson or Christian McCaffrey than they were to Michael Thomas. But if you had Michael Thomas, that was one of the few ways that maybe you could have beaten a Lamar Jackson team or a Christian McCaffrey team, right? Yeah, it's it, there are a lot of wide receivers that that popped up this year. I think I think we we you know maybe forget about Thomas. We don't forget about Thomas, but we don't hold him in the same group because a he he is not scoring as many points. Right. But also all these other guys popped for for giant segments like the the Charks and the Suttons and the and the Galladay's and the uh, Chris Godwin especially. Um, and and these are all guys that dynasty minded guys like like me or you know maybe maybe just everyone were all over in the offseason and and they just all hit this year at least for decent stretches um and even in the playoffs guys like perryman there's always so many wide receivers that just pop off that maybe michael thomas's uber consistent year uh got lost in that in a year where the running backs uh were you know fairly low scoring compared compared to uh christian mccaffrey Well, and if you look at the other wide receivers up at the top of the ranks, most of them kind of fit that early round predictability that Thomas also had. You look at Julio Jones as the wide receiver four currently. Mike Evans, the wide receiver five, despite being hurt. DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver six. There are some other names that popped up out of nowhere, like Chris Godwin's a wide receiver two right now, but he was getting so much hype in the preseason, he might as well have been a top 12, top 10 guy. He was was going in the fourth in a lot of drafts. Yeah, so I don't think Thomas has really elevated him above those other guys, even though he is, you know, 30 points ahead of Chris Godwin at this point. He doesn't have that same sort of 
narrative cachet that Lamar Jackson does because what Lamar Jackson is doing at quarterback is, aside from Patrick Mahomes last year, Jackson is having the greatest quarterback season in fantasy of the past 10 years plus maybe, right? Something along those lines. Yeah. I, I meant to look that up earlier, but I, I think I did it loosely and he was just behind Mahomes' 2018 season and just ahead of Peyton Manning's 2013 season. And those are the two best quarterback years than I can remember in recent history. Yeah, that five points per game or whatever more than any other quarterback is really just just insane. Uh, I will say, though, um, I took a look at this at work with a uh, with a coworker of mine and the top t- like the top 12 in ADP quarterbacks isn't that far. I mean, different order, but isn't that far off from the top 12 uh, current uh, fantasy scoring quarterbacks? I mean, there's a there's a couple here and there flipped out. Baker Mayfield's not in there and stuff like that. But uh, we pretty much got the top 12 right. <laughs> it just just in a different order. And I think there's something to be said there. We are getting smarter as an industry or community, whatever you want to call it. And that's why I think the Lamar Jackson projecting him into next season is such an interesting exercise because we're so smart that we can figure out which quarterbacks are good, but we're also smart enough to know that in most one quarterback formats, even if Lamar Jackson is the best QB, even if Patrick Mahomes is the best QB, whatever, you still can't take that player in the first round because of the, what you're giving up at running back at wide receiver at the positions where you have to start more guys. Now, Two quarterback and super flex fixes that, and that's why I will I will always be an advocate for those types of formats. I know you are too. Yep. But in a one QB league, is Lamar Jackson worth the round one price tag? I still don't think so. And, and is, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I we've had this argument on on Fantasy Football Weekly, and Paul Charchin believes that he's not just a first rounder; he's the one hundred and one. I think he's going the the similar Matthew Barry, Michael yeah. Vick route of. Back yeah, about fifteen years ago, and I can understand it, and I I do, I have a personal. I I actually said to Charge, I'm okay with that take because I believe a percentage of fantasy football should be fun, like a percentage of your draft strategy. Uh, I like having players that I enjoy having in fantasy football, unless it's for major major money. But uh, I guess I'm okay with that pick. But I'm like you, I can't take a quarterback in the first round. I just, I just can't do it. Now, if we're talking a three or four keeper league, I'll keep a guy like Lamar Jackson. He's a definite top four round, top three round. If you take him in the second, I feel like which we were taking Mahomes in the third last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he was dipping into the second in some drafts. I don't, I don't see how that it should be that much different from Lamar Jackson this year. Right. There's so many different ways that you can win at fantasy football. And if you want to try to win when taking Lamar Jackson first overall, that's something you can try to do. It's just like playing a game on hard mode or something. It's like playing on all Madden versus rookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I like that analogy. It's, it's just test yourself to see if you can do it. If you can take a QB in the first and still win your league. I, I like the way that you uh, positioned that, <laughs> that, that thought base. Uh, yeah. I, I just think that there's, other quarterbacks that you can get five, six rounds later that aren't going to be as good as Lamar, but you could pair him with another guy and you could you could average 25 points a game instead of 28 a game. You know what I mean? Well, totally. And it's not like Lamar Jackson was first round pick this year. He came out of 
you know, the QB 10 to QB 15 range. Patrick Mahomes did the same thing the previous season. You can find these quarterbacks that ascend from the middle tiers up to the the elite tiers. And and it's not always going to happen every season, but you can get close enough, whether it's with a Matt Ryan type a couple of years ago or this year with Lamar Jackson. Like these guys do come out of the woodwork. Like look at Kyler Murray this year. He's currently the QB eight. And while he hasn't had a ton of like weak winning sort of performances he has been so steady that if you got him much later than all these other guys you're doing just fine like even Dak Prescott QB4 like he wasn't drafted as the QB4 he was drafted inside the top 12 QBs but you got him at a value and that's why if you had Prescott on your team you're doing well aside from you know individual players how did your leagues play out Scott like what were your best (laughs) and worst results like what do you think were the keys to your successes or failures in those leagues did, did you see my tweet this morning? Is that is that where that comes from? I did not, no, so I, I apologize. <laughs> so I have five Dynasty Leagues, and I went 59-6 and six in Ooh. them, including three undefeated teams. Wow, Scott. And, undefeated? Yep, three undefeated teams. I made one championship game, and I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Them's the breaks, I guess, right? I mean, 59 and only lost six games out of five leagues. <laughs> And uh, that's Dynasty, though. My redraft and keeper leagues, uh, different story. I think I was middle of the pack in both redraft leagues. And my keeper, my home keeper league, I will be drafting top two overall this next year because everything went wrong for that team. Yeah, it looks like my championship hopes are all dashed in seasonal leagues. I'm going to get second in the going deep league that Mike Clay runs. Uh, I I think I'm up by like four and a half points, but he has Mike Boone left to go. And then I'm going to finish second in the Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy League or the Barf League uh, to Sammy Reed. Uh, I did do pretty well in a couple of best balls. I don't know if you've looked at the King of the Hill standings yet, but it looks like I'm going to take down KOTH2, uh, the Spider-Man division there. Nice. And, and that was with a... Uh, Lamar Jackson team Uh, I think it was Kamara and Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott so that was a pretty and I had Derrick Henry there so that was a tough team to beat especially in best ball and then I'm going to win my fantasy cares eliminator I'm going to win some money for the charity Uh, so shout out to John Bosch at John Bosch FF for setting up those leagues I'm going to take home some uh, some cash for the charity there Wow, that's awesome! You you did you did quite well. I, the King of the Hill leagues, I looked just enough to see that I was in the middle of both of mine. So I'm I'm just staying where those are relegation leagues for people listening, where you uh, move up or down if you place at the top or bottom of your division. There's several divisions. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing most people understand relegation. Yeah, I I would think so. Now, are there any other you know lessons from 2019 you're going to project forward to future seasons? Like any more big picture stuff about position value or draft strategy or in-season strategy, anything along those lines? Boy, it's, that's tough because there are a lot of, uh, I, I think once again, the tight end position, we thought coming into this season that a bunch of tight ends were about ready to just become things like OJ Howard and David Njoku and, and all these guys. And, and Darren Waller was a, a sleeper up for many of us. And he, he actually did decently, but, Overall, I'd say it stayed a pretty top-heavy position, and I'm probably going to stick to my usual strategy that annoys the crap out of people. But uh, well, I, I I'm I'm a Kittle guy, I'm an Andrews guy, I'm a Kelsey guy. I think I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep hammering home at getting a couple of those within the first few rounds, and not worrying about tight end for the rest of the draft because all my teams have guys like Kittle and Kelsey on them and I'm not I've I haven't had to worry about tight end all year in any league 
And I really like that. <laughs> See, I go the other way because you mentioned how we expected a certain group of tight ends to break out. It just happened to be a different group, right? It, it was Mark Andrews. It was Austin Hooper. It was Darren Waller. It wasn't O.J. Howard, David Njoku, and and Evan Ingram. Although Ingram, when he was healthy, he was fine. There's value to be had all over the place at tight end. You just don't want to run into one of those buzzsaw picks that annihilates the position for you. Like if you spent... Uh, a fifth round pick on OJ Howard that really hurts your season no doubt about it but if you waited and got Hooper if you waited and got Waller or Andrews like you were just fine in that case too so my strategy tends to go the other way like I'll wait longer but I'll take more shots so especially in best ball like I will take three tight ends instead of two and I'll you know go after I might end up with like Jordan Thomas but I might also end up with Mark Andrews and Darren Waller in that sort of scenario I think there are a lot of different ways to to make that tight end omelet it's just you know which eggs do you want to crack open you know what I mean yeah, it's it's just one of those things where you get down to tight end 13 and they're scoring half as many points on the season as the top three. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's 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 scary. I, but I, I'm completely with you. And it seems like every year that there are those guys. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Andrew. I was I, I grabbed Andrews in basically every league, but I he was late. Hooper was late. Guys like Ingram and stuff were still like eighth round. But I get that strategy, too. And I think that goes for. For several of these, right? Avoid Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and stuff, and and take uh, some later quarterbacks. You know, that's I I get that it works. It works for quarterbacks and tight ends. I just I just love not even thinking about it <laughs> throughout this. There's definitely value in that, no doubt about it. it. But I do think there are ways to kind of sniff out some of these value guys, uh, it, specifically in the case of Waller and Andrews. You look at the teams that they were on, and you just didn't really see the wide receiver talent to steal too many targets away from the tight end position, if that makes sense. And also, especially with Waller, there wasn't a whole lot of other tight end competition on that roster. So you could see a clear path to Waller getting a lot of volume. And that's really what he's been. He's been a volume guy. It's not like he's been super efficient. It's not like Derek Carr is some amazing quarterback who hits him downfield on big plays all the time. Like Waller's just getting a ton of targets and turning those into fantasy points. And so trying to sniff out those types of players you know, you see Eric Ebron get hurt, and then you see Jack Doyle become that type of tight end. If you can figure that out in the preseason when you're drafting, I think that goes a long way. Right. But it, tight end super fluky. It's a lot of hit and miss for sure. Right. I I will say this about about Hooper. Uh, I mean, he was. He was probably one of those later tight end, later round tight end guys that people thought had a chance to be, you know, pro- he probably was going to be top 10. He was good last year uh, after preseason week three. And people don't take stock in preseason games after preseason week three. We we went on the radio the next day. Uh, I believe it was Saturday morning after after the uh, the Falcons had played and they with their starters and they targeted their tight ends so much in that game. And especially at the goal line with the starters in. And I'm thinking to myself. Okay, maybe 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 this is uh, maybe this is something that this offense is going to start doing, <laughs> and uh, that that that's that's one thing that yeah you're right there are ways to sniff out some of these breakouts. Yeah, and a lot of the times it is just about the time that the tight end gets to spend in the league, right? Like this was Hooper's third season, if I'm not mistaken, and we know that the position takes a while for these guys to learn. And sometimes it just it becomes time. Like, look at Mike Kosecki right now. He seems to be coming on towards the end of this yep. year. Maybe that's Adam Gase being gone. Maybe that's Ryan Fitzpatrick being a competent quarterback. But it's also Kosecki, you know, getting better, learning the position. And I think that that is something you have to kind of keep track of, too, is just because a tight end was bad two years ago and last year was right. mediocre doesn't mean he can't be good this year because there is improvement that we have to project into these players' performances. 
Absolutely. First off, I think it's Hooper's fourth year. Okay. Um, but also, I mean, there are guys like I still have a lot of faith in the future of Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. I think they flashed at times, never had it consistent. Fant had drop issues. So did Hawkinson. Uh, both had injury issues, Hawkinson on IR. But uh, I think if, if both healthy, like you said, a few year, a couple of years in the league, I, I think that the future is bright for both of those guys. You want to give me – I'll get you out here on this, Scott. You want to give me one or two other players, maybe at different positions, that kind of meet that same criteria for you, players who haven't quite broken out yet but you think might in 2020 or 2021? I, one that flashed that I, I have really high hopes for for the future, and I actually kind of like their their team if they can get a quarterback down there, is Preston Williams for Miami. I thought he looked every bit the part of a wide receiver one, and pairing him with uh, Devontae Parker, I think that's going to be a good pairing that – teams are going to have to they're not going to be able to double up either of them at some point and Xavier Howard even before the season and he's one hell of a corner right yep. he he said going up against Preston Williams in practice he's like this guy's a wide receiver one in this league and he goes up against wide receiver ones he would know and I think that's a guy that might get slept on because of the injury if if without the injury there might have been a whole bunch of DGAF balls from uh Fitzpatrick later in the season that people people would be noticing him more but I I think uh, I think he has he has a lot of potential to uh, to break out next year next for in the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens in Cleveland now that their season is effectively over. If Freddie Kitchens is not the coach there next year, does that bring Baker Mayfield back into that you know top 15, top 12 quarterback mm. discussion? I think he's another player to keep an eye on at running back. It's it's a lot tougher to sniff out just because so much of it is tied to usage and the carries that these guys get. And so many teams are employing committees that I could talk about, you know, Justice Hill or Damian Harris or some of these rookies that we didn't see get a whole lot of run here in 2019. Maybe they pop next year. But until we know what's going on with the other backs in those backfields, I think it's hard to kind of pinpoint one or two names to settle on. You know what I'm saying? I hate to say this, but I mean, on Damian Harris's bed, we saw this weekend why Will Greer has not been starting over Kyle Allen, even though he's yeah. been terrible. Damian Harris is having trouble even being active, and Sony Michelle has been Sony Michelle a lot this year. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's tough to know how much of that is tied to health for Harris, though, because we don't necessarily get the the most clear injury and practice reports That's from the true. New England Patriots. <laughs> That's true. Uh, if I if I had to think about running backs, I think Devin Singletary leading the league in ten plus and twenty plus run rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he if you know they they are giving him twenty plus carries recently, twenty plus touches a game. Uh, I think that there's a lot of potential there, but I think people are on that, and I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with Kenyon Drake next year. I don't think like he's already broken out basically for them, and he's he's perfect for that offense. Uh, but I'm interested if that stays continues you know like uh, i'm interested interested to see where his value lies because people have these you know these beliefs on drake you know yeah the other backfields that kind of stand out to me in that same way are the niners guys and the chiefs guys because we know that those are good rushing offenses or good offenses in general to the point where running backs can succeed it's just which of those players do you want to buy into, right? Because it's such a, a timeshare in each in each case. I, I'm curious to see if Damian Williams can maybe deliver on the hype that he had this year, next year at a lower draft price, oh, because he got really good here in week 16. Given the amount of free agents available and uh, Andy Reid's proclivity to you know pick up free agents, especially at the running back position and the draft class next year, man, I have a tough time believing any of the current Kansas City backs will lead the Chiefs next year. 
<laughs> but you never know. But yeah, running backs are basically impossible to sort out until we're closer to the actual season. So it's so tough. On on that note, just if you're doing best balls early, if you're doing dynasty, start stashing guys, start taking shots because you never know which one of these guys is going to be the next Raheem Mostert or the next Kenyon Drake, right? Like it looks like his career is dead and then all of a sudden he gets traded and he's back to being a relevant fantasy player. Or even, you know, Mike Boone uh, bringing it back to SFB and, yeah. and what we got going on tonight on Monday Night Football. Scott, yeah. I really want to thank you for coming on. I, I'll handle the rest of the show on my own here after uh, a break for the sponsor. But um, why don't you let the folks know where they can find you and, and all that good stuff. Sure. You can find me at ScottFish24 on Twitter. Uh, now that the season is wrapping up and I'm getting all my leagues paid out, I will have, you know, orphan dynasty teams, teams that uh, owners have called it quits. So so follow me. And if you're looking to get into a dynasty league in one of my commissioner services, uh, safeleaguesfantasy.com, or just follow me on Twitter and uh, watch for some tweets on that. By the way, also Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard has looked really good with opportunities. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Zeke's going to be there for a while, but yeah. he's, one, he's one that should be owned everywhere just in case. <laughs> yeah, the perfect handcuff back, but it's hard to know exactly how much value he's going to have because of the contract they gave Zeke and, and the exactly. way that they built that team. It's really fascinating there for sure. Yep, exactly. All right, Scott, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great one. Yeah, you too. All right, listeners, we'll move on to the Week 16 recap. It'll be a brief one and some Week 17 thoughts. But first, a word for the sponsor of the show, Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free DFS site around. They are running the largest rake-free contest out there each and every week, including the Hooter main event. Being rake-free means that Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools, and this isn't just a limited promotion. While other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, squeeze their prize pools, and make it harder for players like you to win, Fantasy Draft's contests remain rake-free. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with the promo code 4for4 and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with promo code 4for4, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4. Don't miss your shot at millions in prizes this season. Start playing rake-free at FantasyDraft.com today. Your bankroll is going to love it. All right, let's quickly run through some of the standard Week 16 things. We'll do booms and busts of the week. And just me here, no guests, unfortunately, talking about which players made the biggest or most unexpected positive impacts on my fantasy teams. Who was my boom of the week in Week 16? And I only really had two leagues that mattered where I had to make lineup decisions. Uh, One was the Going Deep League that I mentioned earlier, hosted by Mike Clay. But I'm playing against Mike Clay in the championship, and he has Mike Boone left to play tonight on Monday Night Football. If I am able to squeak out a win, if Mike Boone for some reason just lays a total egg in this matchup, it will be on the back of Tyler Higby, largely, who had 11 targets, caught 9 of them for 104 yards and no touchdowns. This is a tight end premium league, so all of those catches for Higby were made for a really big day in my lineup. And it's pretty impressive to me that Higby did this with Gerald Everett, quote-unquote, back in action. Everett returned from injury in Week 16, but that did not stop Higby from kind of taking over the game for the Rams uh, in terms of receiving production. Brandon Cooks had a touchdown. Robert Woods had a pretty good game. But the fact that Higby remained so involved, despite the fact that Everett was back, was a really good indication that Higby is probably going to be the guy you would want to use if you are playing in Week 17 and projecting forward to future seasons, I just don't know if we ever saw Everett hit the heights that Higby hit down the stretch here while Everett was hurt. And I don't know if the Rams are going to see it that way. They might revert back to giving Everett more targets and Higby fewer targets in the future. But as it stands right now, I'm inclined to believe that Higby is going to be the de facto tight end 1A for Los Angeles going forward. And I think that's important. Uh, We'll see how it plays out, though. 
The other player I got to shout out here from the Going Deep League, of course, Lamar Jackson. Has to be a boom of the week. 20 of 31 for 238 yards passing, three touchdowns through the air, 17 carries for 103 yards on the ground. I said this earlier to Scott, this has been the season of Lamar Jackson, and I would not have been in this championship game if it wasn't for him. I would not have won those best ball leagues I mentioned earlier if it was not for Lamar Jackson. Every league where I had him, my team performed well, and there's something to be said about that. That is a a very impressive feat. That sort of consistency week after week after week is so critical to fantasy football success, and you're not going to find that across your whole roster. You just have to hit on that sort of consistency with a couple of players three players, four players maybe, depending upon the depth of your league, because you can fill in the blanks with other players at other positions. And based on the variance that all players tend to have, you don't have to be right 100% of the time on 100% of your lineup spots. But if you can lock in that being right mentality or being right outcome at quarterback with Lamar Jackson, at running back with Christian McCaffrey, at wide receiver with Michael Thomas... It just can't be understated how important that is to prolong success and toward hitting a ceiling of success uh, in the context of a single season. The other league where I was playing in a championship was the Barf League, and I am almost certainly going to lose there, barring some crazy, crazy outcome from Aaron Jones. Sammy Reed bested me there, and kudos to him. He had the, the best team in that league by far. It was definitely more well-constructed than mine, a little healthier than mine, and all things considered, he probably deserves to win that league more than I do. Uh, but in terms of my performance this week, Saquon Barkley, 22 carries, 189 yards, one rushing touchdown, four targets for four catches, 90 yards, and one touchdown receiving. Huge game for Barkley, and it's good to see him start to put this back together after we saw him dinged up in the middle of the year. And this gives me confidence to consider Barkley as the running back 1B to McCaffrey's 1A heading into 2020. It is kind of fitting that in this finals matchup, I had Barkley, Sammy had Christian McCaffrey. That basically tells the story of the running back position this this year. Those were the best two guys. And maybe you could throw Derrick Henry or Leonard Fournette or a couple other names into that conversation with Barkley. Like McCaffrey was clearly the 1A, but I think if you didn't have McCaffrey, you would have liked to have Barkley probably more than most other players. He just... He played through injury, which does help your fantasy team as much as it might hurt his overall career outlook, uh, but that that matters, and I'm excited to see if he can maybe ascend another level or two over the next couple of years and, and challenge McCaffrey for that number one overall running back spot. Let's get into some busts of the weeks from those same two leagues, and in going deep, I had Nick Chubb in my lineup, only 15 carries for 45 yards, no catches. I had Amari Cooper in that lineup, 12 targets, only four catches, 24 yards. And I had Zach Pascal, three targets, one catch, six yards receiving. Pascal, whatever, it's a deep league. I had to start a fringy wide receiver six in this format, and Pascal is the guy I settled on. I was lamenting that decision leading up to game time in the 4 for 4 Slack channel, and I I considered a few other players, I threw out some names. The the one that I threw out that would have been the bit, the best pickup and probably would have won me the league if I had the, the stones to do it was Steven Sims Jr. of Washington, and I'll cover him a little bit later in the Week 17 conversation. But I don't feel bad about starting Pascal. The targets had generally been there most weeks, and the matchup seemed good against Carolina. Carolina's defense has not been playing all that well in these final few weeks. Now, One thing I probably could have considered was what the shift from Kyle Allen to Will Greer at quarterback for Carolina would do. What it did was make Carolina's offense completely inept, and that meant that Indianapolis didn't really need to throw much to win the game. 
And if I had kind of parsed that out and figured that out ahead of time, maybe that would have pushed me harder to move off of Pascal and take a risk with someone like Sims or Albert Wilson or Russell Gage. Those were the three guys I was considering the most strongly. I even considered putting Traquan Smith in over Pascal, and it's not like Traquan did a ton himself. But if I had landed on Albert Wilson, if I had landed on Sims, I probably would have won this matchup. And it sucks to kind of think about this in hindsight, but hindsight is twenty twenty. It goes to show that some of those considerations you have do matter. You know, if I if I thought more about the downside of Pascal, that might have led me a little more easily toward the upside of Albert Wilson or the upside of Steven Sims. With Nick Chubb, I'm not going to sweat that decision too much either. In a deep league like this, if a guy's going to get 15 carries at running back, you're probably going to start that player, even in a tough matchup, because if one of those carries happens to be for a touchdown, Chubb is going to score enough to merit that lineup inclusion. The fact that he didn't get any work in the receiving game, only one target, no catches, that is pretty alarming for the long-term outlook of Chubb to me. Like, I really have to be concerned about Kareem Hunt's presence in this offense moving forward. Now, maybe a coaching change in Cleveland will make Nick Chubb more of a workhorse and Kareem Hunt more of a situational player, but based upon the way Kareem Hunt has played, i.e. very well, I think we have to expect this to continue. We have to expect some sort of split between Chubb and Hunt going forward. That can work in fantasy for sure. I think both of them are going to be viable picks next season. Like, you look at what some of the other good timeshares have done this season. Raheem Mostert and Matt Breda and Tevin Coleman. And it's been hard to sort that out over the whole course of the season in San Francisco. But week to week, if one of them's hurt and it's only going to be down to two or three players, you can usually pick out which two are going to be the guys who get most of the work. And if it's a good offense, a good rushing team, then those players, even on 10 to 15 carries, can still hit. The problem was is I didn't draft Nick Chubb to be that type of player on this particular team. I drafted him in the first round. I think it was 10th overall or 11th overall among the teams. I wanted him to be that bell cow. I needed him to get that receiving work, especially because this was a PPR format. And the fact that all of that receiving work got siphoned away from Chubb in these final weeks, it did hurt me. I still made the championship game, but when it you know, when it really mattered in the finals, I didn't have that production from him. I couldn't count on that production from him. And that submarine me, unfortunately. I mean, it's going to be close, all players considered, you know, across the whole matchup. But if Kareem Hunt hadn't come back, if this was still Chubb's bell cow role, that would have gone a long way towards helping me win this league as well. Uh, Amari Cooper... Man, just laid an egg at the the worst possible time. I had him in Barf as well, so he's a bust in both leagues for me. I was heavily invested in Cooper across many different formats. 12 targets, only 4 catches. I mean, what do you do in Dallas? Like, they really have kind of fallen asleep at the end of the year here. It's quite disappointing to see. I hope that a coaching change in Dallas helps Cooper become a more consistent player because we know the quarterback play is good. Like, Dak Prescott is full stop a good quarterback. And they have the running game to take pressure off the passing game with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. So they need to figure out this passing game. They need to figure out how to get Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup a little bit more consistent week to week. And that should come with better play calling, assuming they can find a better play caller. We'll see. The final bust of the week for me, Christian Kirk. Five targets, no catches, no yards, no receiving touchdowns. He did manage to avoid the goose egg with two carries for nine yards rushing, but... This is a pretty bad look for Kirk. Uh, I have to assume that he's not 100% healthy. We know he was a little questionable entering Week 16, so 
I, I think we can write this off. I'm not concerned about Kirk long term. I do think that he is the wide receiver one going forward. And if anything, maybe this disappointing week 16 will leave a bad taste in enough people's mouths heading into 2020 that Kirk will still be a value. Maybe he could be this next season's Chris Godwin of 2019, right? A player who has the tools, should see the targets, but based upon the fact that he wasn't that he wasn't a full bore fantasy star in the previous season, he's not going to be drafted as a potential fantasy star in the upcoming season. Kirk could be that value that ascends from a sixth to eighth round draft pick up to, you know, a third to fourth round value. I, I'm excited to see what he can do as he grows and learns with Kyler Murray in Arizona. And now that brings us to our week 17 strategy segment of the podcast. And we got to kick this off with a public service announcement. If your league's championship involves week 17, I think you need to do whatever sort of pleading you must do to get your commissioner to make a change. Week 17 should not count towards a fantasy football league that has any sort of stakes because it's too fluky a week. There are too many weird things going on. With that said, if you do have to play this week, you have to pay attention all week, all the way up to game time, because all of these different wonky situations, whether it be benchings or rest or a player getting shut down after the first quarter or injuries or whatever, you know, jockeying for draft position, like some of these teams are going to deactivate good players because they want the team to lose. Now that's not going to that's not to say that the players are going to try to lose. That just doesn't make any sense for the players themselves, but the management and the coaching staffs of each team could potentially put their team in a position to not perform quite as well. And they could be just trying to get a look at certain players, players that are deeper on the depth chart and that would lead them to rest a starter earlier and give a backup more run. All of these things need to factor into your decision making and the best way to kind of keep up with all of that is to hammer the news and notes day after day to look for players who might be worth a pickup and to look for players who might be worth cutting. I really don't have very many answers for you on that front on Monday, Monday morning at that. So the best piece of advice I can give you is keep up with the news and notes on Twitter at 444.com, wherever else, and Try to parse out which teams are going to be trying, which teams are not going to be trying, which players are going to get shut down, which ones aren't. And when in doubt, I will say you should probably lean with the players who got you there. It's assuming that there are no indications that they're going to be rested. Week 17 can be weird, but at the same time, good players still go off in Week 17. It happens. Now, with that said, there are some games that legitimately matter more than others. So let's run through those real quick. I say real quick, of course, and there's a list of like 15 games here we have to touch on, but uh, we'll start with the early games. A lot of these playoff seedings that we're discussing are relative to one another. For example, New England is at Miami. The Chargers are at Kansas City. If the Patriots win, they clinch a bye. They will clinch the two seed. Baltimore already has the one seed locked up, so the Patriots need to win. They want to win. If the Pats lose and the Chiefs win, that would give Kansas City the two-seed in a first-round bye. So both of these teams need to be trying. They need to be going for that win. Now, with that said, you look at the stakes of these two teams specifically. New England controls their destiny more than Kansas City does, right? So if New England is up 35-10 to 10 at halftime on the Dolphins, maybe the Kansas City coaching staff looks at that score on the scoreboard and says... We're not going to risk Patrick Mahomes getting hurt in the second half of our game. We're going to rest him. We're going to throw uh, the backups out there, right? Because New England's clearly winning. That means that we can't 
improve our seed up to the two seeds. So why risk any sort of injury here in the final week of the season? Let's rest these guys up for the playoffs. With that said, I think we have to assume that both these teams are going to be playing pretty hard most of the game. So if you have Patriots players, if you have Chiefs players, you can and should be starting those folks. Next up, we have New Orleans at Carolina and Green Bay at Detroit. Both of these games are early. Both of these teams have a chance for the one seed or the two seed. In Green Bay's case, it does depend on the outcome of their game tonight with Minnesota. If they lose tonight, they will be a lot less live for the one or two seed, and therefore the the game that matters more there is New Orleans. Green Bay might not have quite as much to play for, but again, because as things sit now, these teams are still jockeying for position, and because these games are happening at the same time, we kind of have to assume that New Orleans, Green Bay, Minnesota, all these teams are going to be trying in Week 17, and that's good for fantasy. Uh, The Vikings are at home against the Bears. They are in the playoffs. They are only playing for seeding. They can win the NFC North if they win out and the Packers lose out. But if the Packers win either of these last two games, Minnesota is going to make it as a wild card. So they kind of like Kansas City have a little bit less to play for. With that said, I think they're going to be going for it. So that's good. Moving into the later afternoon games here. Tennessee is at Houston and Houston can move from the four seed to the three seed with a win plus a Chiefs loss. Tennessee can clinch the sixth seed with a win or losses from Pittsburgh and Indianapolis. And this is an interesting game because Houston is probably the four or the three seed and and doesn't really matter which one of those they are. Not a ton, right? What they might have some interest in is who they would play in the first round of the playoffs. My guess is they do not want to face Tennessee. Tennessee is a common opponent. They have a little bit more experience playing against the Texans. Tennessee has a good defense. They are generally on the rise. They're playing pretty well. And with that in mind, I think Houston is going to be motivated to win this game, to bounce Tennessee from the playoffs, and that would lead to Pittsburgh potentially making the playoffs. Pittsburgh is playing at Baltimore, also a late game, and the Steelers will get a sixth seed with a win plus a Tennessee loss. And if you're Houston, you would much rather face either Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges than you would face Ryan Tannehill and that Tennessee defense. Now, maybe you don't want to go against Pittsburgh's defense. I get that. But in general, I think I would probably rather face the worst, more inexperienced quarterback from the Steelers than I would face Tannehill from the Titans. The other AFC late game that matters is Oakland at Denver. The Raiders have a very, very slim chance of making the playoffs if they win, but they need a bunch of other help to make it. And I'm not, it's a little too convoluted to get into here on the podcast. So I will link to an article on ESPN that kind of explains how the Raiders might be able to make the playoffs. I mean, crazier things have happened, but I think we can pretty easily rule them out. Chances are that sixth seed is either going to be Tennessee or Pittsburgh, depending upon the outcome of their games. The other late afternoon games that matter are for the NFC East. Philadelphia is at the Giants. Washington is at Dallas. The Eagles will clinch the NFC East with a win, and Dallas will win the NFC East if they win and the Eagles lose. So those games are going to be happening simultaneously. Both games are against bad opponents. Both of them will be trying. Dallas has looked so bad lately, though, that even if you have their receivers, are you really going to trust them against Washington? I think if you have Amari Cooper, if you have Michael Gallup, you probably have to run them out there. Ezekiel Elliott is kind of a no-brainer, of course, but because they are not in control of their destiny here, because Philly would have to lose for them to make it, there's also a chance here that Philly gets up so big by, say, halftime or the third quarter against the Giants that Dallas will look at the scoreboard, become disheartened, stop trying quite as hard, maybe even pull some starters because they don't need to risk that injury. Now, with that said, if Dallas is going to be eliminated from the playoffs, 
then they don't really have anything else to play for. They have the whole offseason to get healthy if they do get hurt in the game. I don't necessarily know if there's going to be a ton of motivation for the Cowboys to rest any of their players because they have to be rooting for Philly to lose, even if Philly is up by a ton of points. It, it almost doesn't matter, right? If you're the Cowboys, you have to assume that the Giants are going to be able to mount some sort of crazy comeback and help you get into the playoffs. So if you have the Cowboys players on your roster and you want to use them, you should definitely be inclined to do that because the matchup is good enough and the Cowboys should be motivated to win. Now that brings us to our last and final matchup that matters. Sunday Night Football, San Francisco at Seattle. If the Niners win, they clinch home field. If they lose, they fall to a wild card. It's a lot on the line for the Niners on the road, and I do think they're the better team than Seattle. But on the other hand, the Seahawks play them tough all the time. These divisional games tend to be pretty crazy, pretty wonky, and Seattle has a lot to play for too. They could also get the one seed still. With a win, they would need some help from a combination of the Saints, Packers, and Vikings to get it, but it could happen. Seattle, even if they don't get that by, they could still win the division, get a home game in the first round of the playoffs. This game matters to them a lot. I can't wait to see this. I'm a Niners fan. I'm really nervous about it, but it is going to be a great game. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Every other game on the slate has to be at least somewhat suspect. As I talked about earlier, a lot of eliminated teams may rest starters, try to get looks at non-starters from deeper down the depth charts. Other teams are jockeying for draft positioning, so they might not necessarily want to win their matchups to improve their pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So if you're picking from players outside of those games that matter, be very careful leading up to game time. Watch the news, figure out who is going to be in there, who you can trust. Let's close things down with a handful of situations to monitor on that front in Week 17. Chris Carson injured himself in Week 16. He is out for the year. CJ Procise is also out for the year in Seattle. That leaves Travis Homer atop the depth tart for the Seahawks. This is probably a pretty good sign for the 49ers in their quest to win that division. Now, with that said, maybe these all these injuries to the running backs on the Seahawks could incentivize Seattle to throw the ball more, maybe use their MVP-level quarterback uh, at a reasonable rate or a more reasonable rate. Uh, maybe Russell Wilson airs it out more in this contest. Now, do you want him doing that against the Niners' defense? Maybe not. Maybe you do want to be able to control the game a little bit better by running the ball. But I think this is good news for Russell Wilson for the Seahawks receivers. And if you want to play it a little crazy with a running back off the waiver wire, Travis Homer is out there everywhere. Uh, you could even listen to some of these rumors about C.J. Anderson or even Marshawn Lynch returning for Seattle. I don't know if I want to be using those guys signed off the street in Week 17. I think I would lean Homer in those cases. But this is a situation to monitor over the final week here. In Kansas City, Damian Williams finally looks healthy again, and he was dropped in a number of leagues. He's probably still owned in most formats. Still, he looked good in Week 16. 16 carries, 65 yards on the ground. Three targets caught all of them for 27 yards and a score receiving. The Chiefs are motivated to win, as discussed earlier. And if Williams is going to be the lead back, as we expected him to be when we drafted him in the preseason, this could be a spot where you could use him. Similarly, Carrion Johnson came back in Week 16. Didn't do a whole lot. 10 carries, 42 yards rushing, only one target in the passing game. But now that he's proven that he is healthy enough to play a sizable amount of a game... Maybe they really let him run wild in Week 17. I think that he's also dropped in a, in a lot of leagues like Damian Williams. So if Kerryon Johnson is still out there on your waiver wire, you could go after him. Deion Lewis in Tennessee, if he wasn't scooped up leading up to Week 16 once Derrick Henry was announced out, Lewis is another interesting guy because Tennessee has to win to make the playoffs. 
Maybe Derrick Henry is back, though, and that would throw a monkey wrench into all of this, but keep an eye on Deion Lewis. In Baltimore, they have nothing to play for. So that means there are a lot of players we could consider picking up from lower on their depth chart. Robert Griffin III should see a lot of run at quarterback for the Ravens. At running back, Mark Ingram injured his calf in Week 16, so there's very little chance he's going to play in Week 17. That will leave carries for Gus Edwards and for Justice Hill. Justice Hill is definitely the more intriguing player here for me personally because I was all over him in the preseason to no avail. He didn't help me at all this season, but I want to see what he can do. And this is a good opportunity for him to show that off. You have to take any performance he makes with a bit of a grain of salt, right? We don't necessarily know if he's going to be running behind the starters on the offensive line because as the Ravens might rest Lamar Jackson, they might also rest a lot of their O-linemen, a lot of their defense. It's not a clear indication if Justice Hill is good this week that he's going to be good in the future, but if he's bad, that might not necessarily be all on him either. You could also consider the tight ends and the wide receivers for Baltimore, Nick Boyle, Hayden Hurst, Miles Boykin, Seth Roberts. These guys are probably going to play a little bit more because they are lower on the depth chart. They don't necessarily need to be healthy for a playoff run like Mark Andrews does, like Marquise Brown does. Another wide receiver who you can look at, a guy who returned from injury in Week 16, Hunter Renfro on the Raiders. He's back in action, posted seven catches for 109 yards and a touchdown on nine targets receiving. That target share is tough to look away from. I mean, first game back, nine targets, like you have to like that. The Raiders do have that slim shot at making the playoffs, so they're going to be pulling out all the stops in theory to win their game, and that means Hunter Renfro should see more targets. Similarly, in Philadelphia, Greg Ward is the Eagles wide receiver one. He had only five targets for four catches and 71 yards in week 16, but nine targets in each of the two games prior. I imagine in most formats where you're still playing, Ward was added last week, but if he's still out there in your league, he's a player you can consider a wide receiver. And the aforementioned Steven Sims, who I should have picked up in going deep. In week 15, he had 11 targets, caught five of them for 45 yards and a score. In week 16, he had 10 targets, caught six of them for 64 yards and two touchdowns. Steven Sims Jr. is a player that Washington is taking a look at. They do not have a whole lot of depth at wide receiver beyond Terry McLaurin. Sims is stepping up. You can capitalize on that in fantasy these final weeks. I will definitely be intrigued by him in DFS for Week 17. Now, one potential downside to going after Steven Sims is that Dwayne Haskins was injured in Week 16. Haskins was the guy giving Sims all those targets. So if Washington switches over to Case Keenum, Against Dallas, does that affect where the targets go? We don't know. I don't know if Washington has enough depth at wide receiver for that to matter. I assume that Sims is still going to see a lot of work, especially as the Dallas defense keys in on McLaurin. That should open things up for Sims. I'm not too worried about this, but it is something to consider. And that does it. I don't have a whole lot else on Week 17. If you have any questions about specific scenarios, it's probably much easier if you just tweet at me on Twitter my handle on there is at Greg Sauce. I'm happy to chime in on whatever questions you have. I, I know that week 17 is weird and there's a lot of kind of random context that comes with the week that we have to sift through. I, I will certainly try to help you out with that if you feel like you need the help. If you're interested in it more from a DFS perspective, I suggest you check out the DFS MVP podcast here at 444.com hosted by Holden Kushner and TJ Hernandez. They do an awesome job each and every week of breaking down the slate and they'll be going through the playoffs too. So if you can't get enough 4 for 4 podcasting, once this show is done, kick it over to DFS MVP and, and write it out with them through the postseason. If you made it through the season with me this far, I really want to thank you for taking the ride with me. 
I've had a great time doing it. We've had a bunch of awesome guests, and I really appreciate the folks at 444.com for giving me the opportunity to join this enterprise. Uh, you know, Before this, I was podcasting on my own over at 2QBs.com, and they took a shot on me. That means a lot. I, I really appreciate them having the confidence in my ability to pull this off, and here we are on week 17. We did it. You did it too. You made it this far. Whether you're listening because you're still alive in your fantasy playoffs or whatever, I, it doesn't matter. I appreciate you sticking around this long. It does mean a lot. I'd love to hear any feedback you have for the show because we're always trying to make it better. Send that to us directly, either at me on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. You can add the site at 444Football. You can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. All that stuff helps. Just let us know what you think of the show. Let us know how you think we can be better, and we will do our best to accommodate that. One more time, thank you, thank you, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for supporting me and this show. I hope you had a great season. I hope that I hope that some of the lessons that we put forth on this podcast feed this year can be applied for you in future seasons, even if you didn't win your championship. Until next time, this is Greg Smith signing off from the Most Accurate Podcast. Adios. And time will tell why they designed to fail Trying to spy and snoop, keep an eye on yourself They blind as hell, thinking they blazing trails Smelling like burning trash, so they should fry in hell They get the foot in the door, I'ma slam it shut Try to break their ankle, thank you, don't try to cut You stay in line, you wait in line Take the number, be patient, don't blame the line don't blame the game, ain't nothing wrong with the game Acting like you anybody, somebody wanting the game Squeeze a circle in the square, you don't belong in the game To keep it funky, really, you be what's wrong with the game